What's up, everyone? Welcome to our second ever and special edition of Unbuckled Chinstrap. I'm your host, Paul Rabel, and this episode was recorded live from Philadelphia at the U.S. Across Convention a couple of weeks ago. Quick note before we get going. Our guest was actually supposed to be the first ever of Unbuckled Chinstrap, but we decided to call an audible and gave you Ryder instead as our inaugural show. He was fantastic. So throughout this guest episode, you might hear a couple of welcome to the first evers throughout an audience clapping. Anyway, many of you know Kyle Harrison as a world-class athlete for the Redwoods. He's a trailblazer for our sport. He won the Tourton in a championship at Johns Hopkins. But for me, Kyle's also all of those and a dear friend, a fellow builder of the PLL. And on the show, we talk about that, his comedy obsession, favorite shows, coffee creamers, workouts, and a lot more. So let's jump right in. Kyle, welcome. Thanks, Paul. That was nice of you. That was nice. Yeah. Look at that. So we had a a little bit of a back and forth this morning over text. He loosely invited me to work out with him in the gym. It it wasn't an actual, he kind of threw it out there. I'm working out at 7. Not true. And I had a a coffee meeting at 7.30. I told him I'd meet him at 8. And uh, and I got there at 8, and he was nowhere to be found. So I shot him a text, and I said, Kyle, are these new 45-minute workouts? What's going on? Am I able to respond? Yes. Okay, so just to give clarity around what happened this morning, we have to rewind to last night. And so we're texting back and forth. I let Paul know that me and Jay Dyer, who Paul trains with as well when he's back east, would be working out at 7 a.m. And I extended an invite. I even purchased him a water uh, for the morning. So he owes me $2.86 for that. That's neither here nor there. Vending machine? Nope, Starbucks, neither okay. here nor there. All right, yeah, so it's a good uh, water. So we, yeah, it's a good water. It had minerals in it. So we, um, Jay and I got to the gym at 7. Uh, I, I follow what the trainer tells me to do, right? So we went from 7, it sounds like, to 8. Uh, and when Paul arrived, um, we, we were gone. We were gone. And so ever since then, he, he's been getting after me about cutting corners and taking shortcuts. I'm just when not it, sure he worked out. When it, see, and here we are. The root of it. Yeah, let's move on. Let's but, move on. Nope, let's move on. Okay. Let's agree to disagree. <laughs> so why I wanted to start with that. Kyle uh, is probably the funniest guy in the league. He's been uh, not only a leader... Uh, from a communication standpoint to all the players. And he just came over from a panel actually right across the way on diversity and inclusion in our sport. So he's continuing to push those very important efforts on behalf of the growth of our sport. Uh, But he does so in a very friendly and familiar way. Um, And the way that you are often calling it is a booch, the way that you mess around with your friends and foes sometimes. So we call him the king of booching. So can you describe (laughs) or at least define what a booch is? No. You need to. This is part of the exchange. Well, no, this is is And we'll keep revisiting it throughout the conversation. Okay. Just just so we know, or just so this group knows, I don't booch anyone here uh, before I get into what a booch is. So (laughs) I do it a lot with uh, friends. or, or I guess sometimes uh, enemies. Enemies, sure. Uh, where you're having a conversation and you are overly energetic um, and into what's being said when it's obvious it's not something you're into. And so that that's what a booch is. Uh, we do it often. And again, I won't booch anyone in this room if you approach me this week, and I promise that. So an example of a booch would say, it seems like 30-minute workouts are in now. 
See, and he'll be I, like, don't pooch me, Paul. It's, it's, yeah. No, that was perfect. We were there for an hour, guys. Let's just move, let's move on from this. <laughs> we were there an hour this morning. We got our work in. We got some good pictures, so I'll put them up just to prove Paul wrong here. Yeah. Um, That's a thing, by the way. It is. If you don't post a vlog of it your workout or happen. a photo, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. And I'm the, the ringleader of that. So. But I did work out this morning. I didn't post a picture. How long, Paul? Well over an hour. Don't believe it. <laughs> so, okay. So, for, for real, let's then talk about... Uh, work ethic. So you've been sure. playing professionally for 15 years. You've been playing lacrosse for, I don't know, over 25 years now? 26, oh, 27? Come on, no, if I'm 30, Longer, 30? 33 years. 33 years of playing. Mm -hmm. So about half of his time playing in his life has been professionally, and a lot has happened professionally in your career from MLL to LXM to PLL to world teams. Uh, throw me in there, we can add NLL to the mix. Uh, but along the way, every athlete, and this is a misconception if it's just focused on lacrosse, football, basketball, baseball, every pro athlete, the difference between when you graduate from college, you get drafted from college into the pro, is you're responsible for yourself and yourself exclusively. All right? You have team functions, but in the end, the way to sustain a career comes down to what you're going to invest in yourself. And we hear the stories about LeBron James spending $1.2 million a year on his personal well-being and the outside of the clubhouse training. Uh, that's stuff that's very familiar to us because for the longest time, we actually have been part-time pro athletes, but the consistency from how we train and how we treat ourselves from a, from a health and well-being standpoint is the same with all pro athletes. So, Walk us through the evolution of how you've been able to perform at the highest level for so long, evade mostly injuries, and then how you've adjusted more recently with Jay. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a great question. So for me, I have always been a guy, uh, particularly in the beginning of my professional career, that, uh, as Paul mentioned, we were part-time pros, right? I think, let's, let's rewind back to 2005 when I graduated and came out. It's a long time ago. It's a bummer. Um, but when I graduated, and we're going to stay on 2005. But let's. We'll let's get. We'll get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But uh, when I came out, I, I was lucky. Uh, I came out at a time where there was a player of the year before me. Mike Powell came out, signed a pretty big deal with a manufacturer, and he was kind of given the reins to be a full-time professional lacrosse player. Uh, obviously, you know his story. He he kind of changed path, got into music. But for me, the following year, I came out and was able to sign a pretty uh, a good deal with STX, and so that deal enabled me to be a professional lacrosse player. Like my job was to train, was to build a brand, and to just get as good as I possibly could to be a good performer on the field. Um, and so over time, I've had to start taking the training portion a lot more serious because what happened was three years later, uh, Paul came out, uh, bigger, faster, stronger, did the same thing where he signed the deal and then became a full-time guy. And I think it elevated all of us, right? He was the one of the first guys, in my opinion, the first guy that came out, signed the deal, and he was just full go. Like, he, he was bigger and faster and stronger, and he was one of the first professional lacrosse athletes that made us all want to elevate what we were doing. So as you, you know, keep going throughout my career, now fast forward to a 36-year-old, now it's about mobility, making sure I can stay healthy. I think with the PLL and the rule changes we've made with shortening a field, shortening the shot clock, it's more of an up and down game now. So whereas the last decade, I wanted to put on weight and be strong enough to take hits from people like him and his size. Now I want to go back the other direction, lose weight, and be able to get up and down the field because that's what the modern game is. So 
The older I've gotten, nutrition has become important, taking care of my body. I think rest is every bit as important as actually You've always doing slept really well. Yeah, I'm like, a, I'm like an 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. guy, get my sleep. Um, Did you guys hear that? That felt like a booch. Nope, nope. Where's my dad? He'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's it. He that's was it. logging 12 hours a night. Yeah. At one point. That's, but that is it's changed pure now. athlete yeah. recovery. That's a, that's a good model right there. You, you have to. And I think the last thing I'll add to it is with building the PLL uh, with Paul and the team and then obviously having a wife, kids, I think uh, prioritizing and time management has been something that adds structure to my life. I'm a person that needs structure. And it's almost like having these different buckets of train, recover, my family, my work, uh, kind of lets me break my day up and, and optimize what, what I'm going to do and make sure I'm doing it at the highest level possible. So let's uh, do a little bit of a recommendation back and forth around workouts that we did when we were younger, because we have players here at all levels, and we have coaches versus what we're doing now. So I, I want to make sure that at least those listening and those here have some takeaways. So I, I'll say everything that, that Kyle had just referenced is spot on, but there are different levels that you hit based on your age, based on your motivation, and what you want to accomplish at the next level that's important. So when you're younger, and that's high school and younger, it's important that you're really what we call pounding the pavement. So working hard on developing your strength and your speed. Um, and that means repetition, that means more hours, I think, out on the track or on the field. You're learning first how to sprint, how to run. I think there's this notion that, uh, because there's this crawl, walk, run that we figure it out naturally. A nuance is that the best athletes in the world are trained how to sprint. It just doesn't come to them. And many of them, take Zion Williamson right now, is relearning how to run. He's a world-class generational athlete that a lot of what he does works. But now he's at the next level and they're trying to get the next 15 years out of him. He's facing some injury issues and they're restructuring the way that his foot hits the ground. So I say uh, two recommendations. I'll pass to you for, for some more. Maybe we'll go back and forth. First is when you're younger, try to, if you can, get with a strength and conditioning coach or a physical therapist and ask them if they can teach you how to run or watch your gait. Secondarily is right now, when you're again younger, high school and younger, figure out how you can develop your quickness. And that means hitting an agility ladder almost every day. Uh, working on different agility drills, doing interval training is a great way to build conditioning. A lot of us thought previously that conditioning came from running miles on end. The longer you can run over time, the more sustainable. But if you look at a specific sport like lacrosse, where our shifts are 30 and 45 seconds long, your training should be on 30 to 45 second hits. And that's where interval training comes in. So that is, uh, those are two recommendations for me. Yeah, and the only thing I would add is play as many sports as you can. I think a big part of my success on the lacrosse field was that I was a soccer player, a basketball player, then a lacrosse player. I would say up until senior year in high school maybe, uh, lacrosse was not my main focus. And so I think a lot of the movements uh, and all the muscle groups that were strong and were I was twitchy uh, really came from the other sports. And so it just translated, and my body kind of knew what to do because it had been doing it in other sports. So everything Paul said is absolutely accurate. But I'd make sure we're not just playing lacrosse. I'd mix a bunch of different things in there. Again, mine was basketball and soccer. 
Yeah, so there's an author, his name is Malcolm Gladwell. He talks about uh, roughly a way to reach success or mastery is to spend 10,000 hours on a particular discipline. So we could say 10,000 shots with your right hand. How do you develop your left hand? Shoot 10,000 times. That's a lot, it takes a lot of time. But spend your, your early days acquiring skill, thinking about those reps and getting as many as you can. And then if you look at Jack Nicholas, who was able to extend his golf career well into his 50s and 60s, and I even think early 70s, is the funny thing is once you acquire that skill, you then shift over to maintaining it and adding little bit of innovation and uh, creativity to it. And that scope of work is different. So you see pro athletes training differently than they did when they were in college and high school. Because once you get to the top of the mountain, then you want to really prevent dropping back down, which happens with age and lack of discipline. And then you try to create just kind of other elements up there. So that's where mobility and stuff comes in. What type of mobility? Why don't, why don't we talk about what you did this morning? Sure, Paul. Yeah, give would us a couple you, of exercises. Would you like me to run through the workout a, for just you? Just a few, and we'll move on from working out. Ugh, this guy. Uh, so I guess the first thing we did this morning was something called Schless Swings, <laughs> which is with uh, dumbbells, and you're, you're swinging them back and forth. It's is terrible. Jay Dyer here? Yeah, where's Jay? I would love him to run He's you through this. Here. He's not here. So you're swinging we're swing, dumbbells. We're swinging dumbbells back and forth, which was terrible, uh, and you do, 10, you do 10 reps of that, four rounds. And then we're doing dumbbell press. Uh, you do, again, 10 reps, four rounds. Uh, then we're on the ground doing something called hollow holds, which is you're on your back, your feet are up, your shoulders are up, one hand's back, and then you're pressing a DB. So that one's terrible. 10 reps, four rounds. Uh, there's another one with the cable cord where we're squatting, and then we're pulling it back. 10 reps, four rounds. And then lastly, we were on the, um, with that thing, physio ball, yeah. Doing ham hamstring curls, uh, 12 reps, four rounds. Yeah, so that's, here, here's why that's really great to hear is, um, is, is one, I've just been kidding the whole time. Kyle works harder than most people I know. Uh, but two, we grew up on the bench press as much as weight as you can and squat as much weight as you can curriculum. And everything that he described is, is very different, but it talks, when, we sit, when you hear people say mobility, the difference between what we do as lacrosse players and take a wide receiver. And we can look at Chris Hogan as an example. I think we're seeing more and more athletes in lacrosse take those dodging midfielder skills over to the wide receiver position because you're in that breakdown. But the difference between us and them is they have a nine route tree. They know the routes that they're running. And this is the same when we're in our strength conditioning room with Jay and he sets up the agility cones and we know what's happening. When you know what you're gonna do, you're far less prone to injury because your body and your mind are completely synced and you have a 10 yard out. So you know when to stop, turn, and get out of it. In lacrosse, every movement is so fluid and there's contact and that's why we're far more injury prone. So the reactivity and why we do all this mobility work is very different than having a structured uh, element like a wide receiver. Basketball is more like what we do. And all of a sudden, the defender jumps out at you and you have to move quicker. That's not what you had pre-planned. And that's when you can have exposure to injury or failure. And that's why we do all this different type of stuff. So thanks for sharing that. Nutrition. Oof. Coffee. 
he does 10 creamers and 10 sugars that's, that's per awesome. cup. That's, it's actually not even coffee. That's, that's unnecessary to put out in the universe. I, that's not, that's not, not what happens. What do the people at Starbucks say when you... When you I've, sto- I've stopped you, ordering. Do you tell them I need more than three quarters of the cup for room? No, I, I've stopped going and ordering because of how much you talk about this. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a coffee guy for sure. I think as I've gotten older... Um, Obviously, diet becomes important, right? Like you have to you have to be cognizant of what you're putting in your body. Um, for for me, I've been whether that's working with Coach Jay and trying to figure out uh, how to have energy before a workout or energy before a game. I've never been a guy that takes pre-workout. Um, I, I just don't like feeling different when it's time to play. Um, and so there's been some things we've tweaked there, whether it's eating oatmeal in the morning, so I have something in my stomach. Like there's there's a lot of things that we tweak. Uh, but just I guess the only nutrition thing I'd say for younger players here, let's stay away from soda. Like that's one of the worst things you can possibly do. It's uh, got a lot of sugar. It's just not great. Uh, you know, during the holiday time, if you'd like to indulge in a caramel brulee latte, uh, go for it. Those are great. It's right. It's wonderful. Uh, so I'm not going to throw stones the at peppermint. that. I'm not, not, a as great. not a peppermint guy. Caramel brulee with the sprinkles. How about coconut milk versus oat milk? We're almond milk in my house. Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know what gets me in trouble nutrition-wise is, is the kids. Because I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and they have all kinds of nonsense around uh, that all tastes wonderful. Candy, chips, and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a good amount of candy. Uh, I don't think a ton of cheese, Paul. Where did that? Where did I, I, that know, I love cheese, so I've switched my diet entirely. I'm, I'm vegan now, um, and and the the thought process around that was to try to eliminate as much inflammation as I could in my body. I've had uh, sciatica for the last two years, two herniated discs, my L4, L5, L5, S1, and uh, it's been miserable. I've tried a lot of different things. I don't, I haven't really talked about it much, uh, and most recent was at the end of this PLL season, I decided to get rid of all animal-based protein as uh, an experiment in a way to, to try to eliminate where uh, the inflammation was continuing to, from my perspective, cause uh, the disruption with my nerve. So that's been helpful, but it's been really challenging because I love cheese, I love cheese. Uh, and, and chips are okay, uh, not great, but chips are okay on my diet. Um, so anyway, that's you know, stealing back the, the question. Yeah. That's my nutrition. Sure, a lot of talk about cheese there, Paul. <laughs> well, you can get you can get good protein from soy-based <laughs> products like tofu and tempeh, and I grew up on tofu and kale. I think my dad's here somewhere, and yeah. Stouffer's lasagna, from time to time. Okay. So and we would have Friday night pizza. Do you have any family rituals? Uh, yeah, we we have homemade pizza on Friday night. My oh, wow. wife and the kids, they roll out the dough. Dr. They do Harrison's the whole here. Yeah, my, my dad's been buying for Friday night pizza at the house. Yeah, gluten it's good. Gluten-free? I think it is gluten-free, actually. How about cauliflower crust? <sighs> I'll have to ask my wife, Paul. I'm not, I'm not certain. You should step that in. Okay. That I'll, would I'll, be great. I'll text her afterwards. Right. <laughs> okay. Quick break in the conversation with Harry. This episode is being supported by shop.premierlacrosseleague.com. That's the PLL's official merchandise store. If you want to be a part of the fastest growing sports league in the world, we want you to grab your merch and support the movement. The PLL shop has everything from jerseys, T-shirts, our Vineyard Vines collection, socks, hats, and much, much more. Okay, one more thing. Water Dogs, expansion team. Last week, team's protected rosters were announced. There's a bunch of players who are world-class players who are unprotected, who may or may not be on the Water Dogs. But what I'm saying is that may or may not matter. If you're a day one Water Dogs fan, you should buy that merch on shop.premierlacrosseleague.com right now. 
And if you're not, there's Redwoods and Atlas merch. The latter for your boy, the former for our guest, Kyle Harrison. Let's get back to him. 2005, I said we'd come back. Yeah. 2005 was a, a seminal moment for both of us. We were teammates at Johns Hopkins, and we won a national championship together. It was also the year where Kyle, as he said, signed with STX and had his entire Jeep wrapped uh, with his face. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was something for me when I was a senior. I used to think, wow. That guy is worth millions of dollars, <laughs> and I want to be like Kyle and have a Jeep wrapped with my face on it. So can you just walk us through that? The, I did actually, by the way, that was, it's like 50-50 booch, and also really interested in that moment. The, the truth was that I, I actually, and always wanted to be like Kyle when he had graduated and get that deal. And I thought it was phenomenal that that brand invested in that. And, and as a result, the, the whip was free. But go I on. Gonna, I was going to get into that. So look, before I tell you all the story of, of how I came to be driving a Jeep around Baltimore with my face on it, uh, for, the, for the older folks here, look, it was a fr I, no gas, right? Like they paid for all the gas. Uh, the car was free, and I could take it wherever I wanted. So look, and it was great promotion for our sports. Right at the time, like I mean, in retrospect, obviously it would have been cooler to have somebody else driving a car with right. my face on it, like me driving up to Hopkins to to see a game. We knew and, it was Kyle. Right, that's not that's not good. But I'll I'll tell the quick story on how that happened. So. <laughs> Which was great. Kyle's here. And, but you also couldn't avoid then coming to practice. No, no. Because it would, I would text you, hey, man, you were on campus. Why didn't you come to practice? <laughs> I wasn't on campus. I saw your face. Yeah, par parked, at the, parked at the park lot. I'll give the short, the short story on how it happened. So a part of when I came out in 2005, um, a part of that deal with STX was uh, we put a car. My manager and I at the time, we were like, you know what? They're going to have me going everywhere. I don't want to drive my car, so we, we put a car into the deal. Um, and so, <laughs> so I, the car shows up. It's a black Jeep, uh, Jeep Cherokee. I was, I was thrilled, right? Just graduated from college, signed a, a pretty good deal, got a car. Uh, won the Tourton, won a national championship. I was on a good run, for sure. Uh, <laughs> things were great. <laughs> yeah, things were moving the right direction. Uh, I was fortunate enough, I make the U.S. team, uh, park my car outside of my place in Baltimore, and leave and go to the World Games in Canada. Uh, I come back, the car's not there. Obviously, I, I'm in Baltimore. My first thought is the car's stolen. It's gone. The car got got. I'm in downtown Baltimore. I parked it here. I'm back. It's not there anymore. But we should be able to find this thing. We, you think? No, no, it doesn't have, it's not wrapped yet. This, oh, is, this okay. is black. Yeah, this is just, I got a nice <laughs> Cherokee. I'm, I'm thrilled. So I, I call um, the marketing manager at STX at the time, say, look, I don't know how to say this, but <laughs> I lost the car. It's, not, it's no longer at my house. Um, they say, come on in, we'll figure it out. I come in, and in the back of the warehouse, <laughs> this car is now wrapped. My face is on, like, my whole face is on the side. Oh my gosh. It says, K-18, step up. Uh, and then it was you, a gift. It was a gift, wow. yeah. So I was both heartbroken uh, and excited, I guess. And, and heartwarmed. Yeah, to have my face on a car. So that, that's, that's the story of how it happened. Now, the funny part is, I, I mean, I drove that thing... I don't know how long, Paul. Three three years yeah. <laughs> around Baltimore, uh, because the the embarrassment of driving a car with my face on it was outweighed by the fact that I'm not paying for anything, right? With it. Like gas, whatever I wanted, go to Ocean City, whatever, uh, was not on me. Well, I'll say that 
um, it, it definitely set the bar high for all of us because this was this was I'm telling you this was transcending where we've seen sponsorships in our sport go. So it's there are layers to sponsorships, right? Here's like the the 101, and I want to get to Ocean City how they work. Uh, is that an athlete or an entertainer or an influencer now, which we're seeing a lot of? They have a direct connection to an audience. Oftentimes, the audience is aspiring to either pick up a skill as Kyle had or um, you know, have a talent as we see a lot of these influencers have. And so a brand, their ultimate goal is to either sell a product or a service and connect with an audience. It's more difficult for a brand because they're not a person and human connection is more powerful than objectivity. So they will hire a, an athlete or an influencer or an entertainer to endorse their product and directly access an audience. And typically, as an athlete or entertainer, you give that brand, with approval, access to your image and likeness, which is a, a, a big thing, if you think about it. You're all gonna tell someone that they can use your name and face in marketing materials that's something that's not owned or you know, in some cases approved by you. So it's important to understand that. Secondarily is that you, and now, nowadays you're posting on social on behalf of the brand or you're doing what we call appearances. So that can be anywhere from six to a dozen appearances, come out to one a month, and depending on the product or service, you're fulfilling what they need. And in return, a brand typically pays that talent cash and or product. In some cases, it's cash and product. Um, and in Kyle's case, it was both and a vehicle on top of it. Um, but Ocean City. So I want to go actually the summer before 2005. This was before I was a freshman at Hopkins. Unbeknownst to me, this happened until uh, later in that season when it was brought up in passing. But Kyle was a part of four Johns Hopkins teams that were all number one in the country, basically beginning of season two playoffs, perennial. I mean, these teams were unbelievable, and the reason why, a lot of the reason why I decided to go to Johns Hopkins, uh, but had uh, slipped in the playoffs in three consecutive years, and his junior year, going into his senior year, you were at the beach, and you tell the story, um, you wrote an email to the team. Yeah, no. I, it, um, that was supposed to be suspenseful. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know if you were going <laughs> for it, if I was going to go for it. Um, yeah, no, that, that was a, the, that moment uh, for me was a big turning point in my career for a number of reasons. I've always been a guy um, that leads by example. I'm not very vocal, or back then, at least I wasn't. Uh, I was a guy that I'll, I'll be first in drills, I'll show up first, I'll stay late, I'll do all those type of things, uh, but I wasn't vocal. And, and so for me, uh, the teams Paul just referenced, we were really good for three years in a row. I mean, we were the number one team in the country, uh, and then we came up short. We lost in the Final Four my freshman year, we lost in the National Championship my sophomore year, and then that junior year, when I thought we had our best team of my career, we lost in the Final Four again. Um, and that loss for me, me and my best friend, Bensonero, we went right to Ocean City, as Paul said. That loss hit harder than any loss ever had because for the first time in my career, I felt like I could have impacted the game and that season more than I did had I spoken up. Uh, and so I sent an email to my team from the beach letting them know that I was going to work as hard as I possibly could, obviously, uh, and that we will never, as a program, as a team, be in a situation where I don't speak up ever again. Like, I know it's out of character, I know it's uncomfortable, but from here on out, 
I will lead this team along with our other seniors and captains, and I will make sure we are getting the most out of this because this can't happen again. We were the number one recruiting class coming in freshman year, and at that point, we had nothing to show for it. So sent that email out, uh, and we came back on a tear, and, and obviously we, we ended up 16-0 and, and, uh, and won a national championship. So not, not that it was directly related to that email, but for me, it was the turning point of like becoming a leader that's a vocal leader, not just the guy that is one of the better players on the team or one of the guys that leads by example, but now I'm the guy talking to the team. Yeah, the thing that's really interesting about team sports, it's the only sport that defends the championship is boxing. I mean, quite literally are defending their title that they own or sit on. Uh, in, in team sports, there's so much fluidity. There's trades, there's... Um, free agency, there's retirement at the pro level. The college level, you have a new class coming in every year. And in my case, I had no exposure to those trials and tribulations that Kyle had referenced. But I get onto that team, and you can, you can almost feel it. But there's, there's multiple levels of management, essentially, for leaders to figure out. And so Kyle knew that he had the heartbeat of the sophomore through senior class, and then he had to galvanize the freshman uh, in a similar fashion because we don't have the weight of those losses on our shoulders, but sometimes that can be good because, you know, I'm playing in the semifinal in front of 55,000 people um, and I don't feel that type of pressure that Kyle was feeling. And, and, and that's what Kyle knew. So what he's often referenced as, and I've had, now had a chance to play with him, obviously at Hopkins with Team USA, and then play against him, and the shared sentiment amongst people who play with Kyle is obviously he's been a perennial captain, but he doesn't talk as much as I do. Uh, and I, that's a good thing. I, I talk too much. Um, he leads by example, but he figures out those right moments to interject where they're more powerful, pound for pound, more value per minute. So how do you figure out those moments when you feel like you should interject? And how do you feel about those moments when you want to but think it's better not to? Yeah, no, I, that, that's a good question. I think for me, um, the older I've gotten, I think the more people look to me to talk. Uh, and so picking the right time to do it is really important. I think obviously there, there are the obvious moments, whether you're down, uh, whether the team's not in good spirits, whether you're in the locker room, whatever it is. I, I think for me, I have found that those moments uh, typically is when I try to empower somebody else. Uh, because the obvious choice in a locker room when we're down by two uh, is for me to stand up and say something, but maybe give a young guy the platform to say something to the team, a young guy that we need to be a leader. Like our team last year on the Redwoods, uh, me standing up in a situation like that is meaningful, but maybe Ryder Garnsey standing up is even more meaningful for him, right? He's the rookie on our team that's just playing out of his mind and giving him the platform to talk in front of our guys in a situation like that empowers him. So for me, it's about picking your moments. Um, and I think the bigger the moment, the more cognizant I am of should I do it or should I have somebody else do it? Yeah, and we had a, a, a big picking of moment uh, now probably three years ago when we sat at Miss Shirley's in Baltimore and talked about the state of the game professionally and there were multiple paths we could pursue to try to figure it out. Um, one being you know, working at the time with MLL and trying to figure that out with them and the other being, hey, if, if we can't, which it's likely we can't, um, let's, let's consider starting from scratch. Uh, so, so tell me about that from your experience. Yeah, no, I think, uh, so what, what excited me about that conversation before I dive into what, what happened there was 
Paul and I um, obviously were teammates in Hopkins. I was senior, he was a freshman. Uh, and then I graduated and, and signed with STX. He graduated, signed with his, with his partner. And so we've kind of been working in this, the same world, right, in the lacrosse world, but we're competitors. So like we, ne we always would talk through, texting each other, trying to figure out ways to work together. Um, but it was just, it was impossible. Like the people that are paying him <laughs> compete with the people that are paying me. And so there's no way to, to link up and do something together. So and we settled everything via booching each other. Yeah, just back that and forth. That was the way to keep us yep. each other happy. Yep, exactly. Uh, but what was so, what was so in, uh, exciting about that conversation for me was Paul and I have both been very passionate about making professional lacrosse a thing. Uh, there was obviously a generation before us that did it, a generation before them that did it. Uh, and I think now, uh, with the opportunities that, honestly, Paul was the first guy that really just built a massive brand outside of lacrosse. I think you look at me, you look at Mike Powell, uh, the few guys that came before him, like, we, we had a lot of success within the lacrosse space. I think Paul was the first guy that came out and was working with non-endemic sponsors and really blowing this up on, on a level that we hadn't seen before. So as we sat down and had the conversation uh, about how to take professional lacrosse to the next level, and he let me know what, what he and his brother were thinking through. Um, you know, I, I, I was in five, I mean, we sat there for, I don't know, two hours, three hours, but I, I was in five minutes into the conversation uh, because this, this is what this sport desperately needs. Like, the talent level right now in our sport is at a higher level than I have ever seen. Players' commitment to this sport, I think that's the coolest part. Players' commitment to this sport is at a higher level than I've ever seen. I mean, when guys showed up at training camp, um, was that last last May? Yeah. I mean, the, it just the, you can physically see that people took it a lot more serious. That this was for real. Yeah. Um, and I and I won't go into the details on every reason, but obviously healthcare is a big thing for our guys, right? Giving players healthcare and the ability to do this full time, elevating their wages, and giving them an opportunity to graduate from college and be a real professional lacrosse player. I think for Paul and I. When we graduated, we were fortunate enough to sign contracts that allowed us to do this full time. But I can tell you, you know, five or six All-Americans from my class at Hopkins that graduated, went into the workforce, played MLL, uh, but that was what they were doing on the side. And they stopped playing by 25, 26 years old because their, their interests had changed, right? The, the ability to earn a living was in the real world in their eyes instead of trying to stay in the lacrosse world. So for us, what I'm so excited about, the guy I just referenced, Ryder Garnsey, a guy that's graduating, getting paid a real salary, has health care, like, we don't know what that guy's going to turn into. I think for the past decade, we haven't seen, outside of the big guy here, we haven't seen a guy in their athletic prime. That's not a booch. Look, look, at, him. look at him. The guy's coming out of his, his, uh, his button up there. Trying to pop my button yeah, there. It's not fitting <laughs> in his shirt. Um, but that's a guy that can come out. And we're going to see what, like, the lacrosse athlete in their prime looks like. I think historically we haven't seen a lacrosse athlete from 28 to 32 because that guy has transitioned and now he's working. Now I'm 36, still playing. Paul, what are we, 33? I just turned 34. 34? 30, yeah. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to see these guys in their athletic prime, and I'm excited what that athlete looks like. Yeah, and one more call out on the endorsement side. So I think this has been a, a nice conversation so far because we've had an opportunity to relive some of your seminal moments of your life and also uh, give some educational bits out. So I talked about how endorsements are structured. One other commonality between pro lacrosse, pro basketball, baseball, football, hockey, is that the top players get the endorsements, and they're really a dozen or fewer. And then the rest of the rosters, perennial all-stars in the NBA, are doing $20,000 shoe deals. You know, we hear about LeBron James and Kevin Durant and their multi-hundred million dollar shoe deals, but the business behind sports 
kind of resides with the top talent that's most marketable. It's unfair a lot of the time, uh, but what Kyle's talking about lives across the spectrum. And one of the pain points that we knew, and he's referenced healthcare, is that whether it was him or I with an endorsement deal or other guys who were playing full time, is that we were having to figure out our own healthcare, whether it was hanging on to our parents' Cobra or going out and figuring out Blue Cross Blue Shield. And, uh, and then for a lot of guys who are building camp and clinic businesses, you have to try to figure out the insurance space there as well. Uh, so there's a lot of nuance to just going out and trying to hack a, a full-time career. And then the most important thing that when we sat together and talked about the state of not only professional lacrosse, but where we felt like the future could be, we also looked at some of our predecessors in other sports. And whether it's the pioneers of the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA, um, guys and gals who have been paid uh, on a relative scale, lower wages at that time who have seen their leagues exponentially grow and seen their successors take on multi-million dollar deals and have no part in that, we wanted to give our players at this stage equity in our business. And so that was unique to not only pro sports, but something that was genuine given that him and I were both building and still playing, um, and that was the third component. So Kyle's been, um, you know, just a, a, a workhorse with us in, in creating the PLL. He has more conversations than most of us combined in a day just by himself with players. And uh, it's probably, you know, his phone's out, so I don't you, uh, you know. Never know, Paul. I mean, you, I got kids, Paul. I got to make sure things fair, are right at fair home. Fair enough, fair okay. enough. All right, so as, as we wrap, um, talk about your 2020 goals. My 2020 goals uh, on field or just in life? I'd love to see the spectrum or listen to the spectrum. Okay. Um, look, I think uh, when, you're, when you're my age, you, you know you're closer to the, the end and the beginning. Uh, and so this offseason, we're training hard, getting ready, getting excited to play. But I, but I think I've taken a step back. I think I even sent you something in New Year's. Like, I've taken a step back, and, and I'm, I never look back. I never reflect. I never think about the past. I never – it just hasn't been in my DNA. I'm always forward, always thinking about what I need to accomplish. Uh, but I'm just enjoying the process, like going to Jay and training, uh, you know, early mornings with the kids, um, getting into – trying to find time to shoot. Like, like I said earlier, time management is the name of the game at this stage in my career with a family business and also playing. Um, and so as far as goals, I am trying to make sure I slow down and enjoy every part of my life, my family life, my business life, and then obviously my, my playing career that I know is closer to the end uh, than the beginning. Amazing. Let's give him a hand. Thank you for sharing that. I have nothing to add there. And thanks for listening to our first show of Unbuckled Chinstrap. Thank you all for listening to this live edition of Unbuckled Chinstrap. Please consider, actually, please do. Please do go on your podcast app right now to rate, review, and subscribe to this show, whether it's Apple Pod, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Also, tell your friends, family, teammates, and coworkers about the show. We greatly appreciate it. Next week, I sit down with former Whip Snakes player Drew Snyder as he's joining us. We'll talk to you then. Mm.